Welcome to Leadership Conversations with Josh Reich and Casey Sees. We have the conversations leaders want to have so they can win at leadership. Now, on to our show. Welcome back to Leadership Conversations with Josh Reich and Casey Cease. I am Casey Cease, and we, today we're going to be talking about how to grow as a leader as your organization grows. And so Josh is here with me also, and he had written an article about this that we, I just thought was extremely helpful because leaders are um, meant to be growing as the organization grows because as John Maxwell says, there's what's called the law of the lid, meaning that the leader and the leadership uh, is what ultimately limits the growth of of an organization. So Josh, uh, how's it going today, man? Glad you're here. Good, man. How are you doing today? Man, I am doing well. I'm looking forward to talking about growing as a leader because I know you and I both have been uh, leading growing organizations, both in the church world and in the business world. And um, man, either you willingly grow or you are made to grow or you fizzle out. And so this is an extremely important topic uh, for leaders in all areas of life. Yeah. And and as you think about it, at at different points, your organization or your church hits different barriers. And in the church world, they talk about the barriers uh, around the number of people. And that could be around 65, 125, 200, 400, 800, 1,000. And and companies hit barriers too in terms of staffing, uh, products, finances, the size of their, their office space, or even the size of their store. Um, and how many people or customers they're able to have in. And so there's different barriers that leaders come up against. And it's important to not only know what those barriers are, but know how to break through those barriers. But then when you get to the other side of them, to know what it takes to lead in that new space, in that new uh, larger company, larger team. And, And so that's why I think it's all important to discuss Absolutely. No, I mean, and, and a lot of people don't think that way. I think we're so focused on growing that we don't realize that our ability to lead needs to mature and grow with it. And so that's extremely important. So I wanted to talk about, you know, I think it's, it's really wise to go through asking some questions for leaders to consider. You know, we, we call this leadership conversations because we want to have the conversations that help leaders think and grow and win in life, ministry, business, marriage, um, everything. So, um, you know, one area that, that you discussed in your article was the issue of temptations changing over the course of the growth of your organization. Why don't we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I think there's five questions that leaders need to ask. And I use these questions on a regular basis just to kind of as a diagnostic, as like a dashboard to my leadership. And, and the first one is around what new, tam- what new temptations do you face? And so w- when you're starting a company, there are certain temptations that go along with that. But as it grows, as maybe your platform grows or your influence grows, you, you begin to have new perks Um, new things that open up to you. Now you're making more money where at the beginning of your church or company, you're pouring everything, blood, sweat, and tears into the building of this company. And so you're just, and you're pouring all your money back into it. And so now as it begins to grow, you start having revenue, things start to go well, you're starting to have a staff, maybe you have an administrative assistant now. And so now you're somebody that people want to spend time with. And so there are new temptations that you're constantly facing um, and they sneak up on leaders. They sneak up on leaders and they catch them off guard. No, absolutely they do. I mean, and that's, you don't expect that, especially, I, I mean, I don't know about you, man. I, there's, there's, this, there's this weird thing that happens for church planners and entrepreneurs that we, we live in this thing, this, this vision place of like, this has to work. It has to work. 
It has to work. But there's that sneaking feeling underneath of like, but what if it fails? What am I going to do if it fails? And, yeah. and so when it actually starts growing and momentum starts picking up, there's a huge shift, at least I've experienced, in temptation. And in and, and, and the people I've coached along the way, um, there's a huge temptation towards entitlement. There's a huge temptation towards um, towards laziness that, um, that we, once we get to a certain place that, you know, well, we've pushed hard enough to get this thing going, but now we're just going to sit back and enjoy it. And then they're confused when things start declining. And so I think there's a lot of temptations, uh, in your experience with the people you've coached and worked with, and maybe in your own experience, what, what were the, some of the temptations that you've experienced popping up as things grow for you? Well, I just think one of them is centers around money and power. Okay. And so when it comes to money, when you, when I remember when we started at our church, there were many times that we wouldn't get paid that week so that we could pay other people or we could pay other bills. And I remember um, going, you know, a couple of months where we just didn't get paid Wow! um, because we wanted to keep the church afloat. And I was talking to a pastor recently and he just said his church is maybe about 10 or 11 years old now, uh, you know, around five, 600 people. And he was just getting frustrated at the lack of raises that he was getting. Right, um, yeah. and just felt like, well, you know, I've sacrificed so much, you know. And he said to me, he goes, "When does the sacrifice end?" Yeah. And when you start out, that's not a temptation that you face. That yeah. that's not, and and if you don't understand that new temptation, that's a new temptation that can allow bitterness to grow, resentment as you look around at the people who weren't there to build it, who didn't sacrifice like you did. Because here's how a leader thinks at the beginning. Well no one sacrificed the way that I did. Well, they didn't have the opportunity to, they weren't there. <laughs> you know, they, they weren't there at the beginning. So yeah, you sacrificed a lot, but it's that new temptation now where you start to have a little bit of bitterness and resentment towards people. Um, and you start to think, well, why aren't people giving me what I think I should have right now? Absolutely. And, and that, I think that's where it's so tough for, for people to realize that, you know, I, I don't know about you, but you know, when, when I was first planting the church, I was going to all the conferences and I was going, you know, reading all the books and, you know, talking with people and hanging out with other planters. And there seemed to be this idea of a promised land that once you get to a certain number of people, then you've arrived. But then I also remember sitting in smaller rooms uh, with church planters that were at least per our standards successful and they were talking about the physical ailments that, that he'd taken on and, and just the cost that goes in, um, you know, to, to really, um, to really, you know, struggle. And so I think the temptations change. I know the, the temptations that you and I have talked about offline are also when it comes to letting your health go for the sake of growth, letting your family go for the sake of growth. So I think temptations are both on the side of where, when am I going to get more? When will the sacrifice stop? But also this idea of, you know, when will, you know, when will I get what, what's mine? And, and I remember, I, I remember talking to a pastor friend who knew of a church recently that the pastor had charged up like tens of thousands of dollars in expenses that uh, were clearly not ministry related, but the guy, you know, had a pretty solid salary, but had just believed that, you know, he was entitled to um, the church's money to benefit himself personally because of the work and sacrifice he was doing. And so I think that's a huge temptation as well. And, you know, in, in a previous episode, we talked about the identity of a leader and the identity of a pastor, especially. And I think as our company grows, it's easy to allow our identity to get sucked up um, into the success or failure of our organization. So I think, yeah. yeah, what new temptations do you face is something that we need to be very aware of um, to that end. 
Yeah. So, and, the, and the next two things then are, are connected with each other. Because every time your church or organization grows, you need to stop doing certain things and start doing some new things. Right. And, and so I think, you know, the next question that a leader needs to ask is what things must I stop doing? And this comes from Peter Drucker made the comment that um, he's constantly asking executives, what can you stop doing that nobody would notice? Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really helpful thing. And John Maxwell took that to an, to another level, like John Maxwell does with everything. And he right. says that he thinks a leader could stop doing 80% of what they're doing and nobody would notice. And wow. like, that's a really high number. And, and I don't know if that's true. I'm, I'm not sure if there was a research project done with that. But if you think about it, you could probably stop a number of things and no one would notice that you didn't send out that email, that you didn't do that certain thing that you used to do. Um, but to constantly ask, as my company grows, as my church grows, what things do I need to stop doing that I used to do? Um, What things, what meetings did I used to be involved in? What places did I used to go to? Um, Were there teams that I used to lead that now somebody else can lead? And, And this is a really, really hard thing for somebody, especially if they started their church or company to begin doing, to pull back. That's That's very true. You know, and I know for for me recently, um, there are meetings that I've started to pull away from just because our staff team has grown at our church. And people have asked me, hey, you know, why aren't you at that meeting anymore? And the way that I have phrased it is because I'm now allowing that person to lead. Yeah. And so, you know, it's really, it's trying to communicate this empowerment to this person that I'm trying to get behind this person and I'm trying to get out of their way. I'm trying to get out of the way of their leadership. And so a leader needs to be asking, are there things that I need to stop doing? Because like you said at the beginning, we create the bottleneck, the lid of our company. And then the next question that goes right along with it is what things must I start doing or spend more time on? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and so leaders as your church grows, as your company grows, it's important for you to start thinking through, okay, am I developing enough leaders? Am I spending enough time on thinking through, just having that white space to think through what's next, um, to make sure that you're scheduling just that thought time to, to look at, okay, what's next? So as you think, you know, you've coached a, a ton of leaders, you've, you've started different companies, you've started your church, I mean, what along the way, Casey, for you, have you seen, I need to stop doing these things at certain points in the building of a company, or I've needed to start doing these new things in the building of a company or a church? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And and for me, I want to just address the why, why leaders don't do these things. That's a great, Um, yeah. You know, and I think part of the reasons we don't stop doing things that got us to where we are is we don't believe that the truth that what got us to where we are will not get us to where we want to go. And so we believe that we have to keep doing the same things over and over again. But what we begin to realize is when our core group was in a church plant was 20 people, we could text a lot of the people and have coffee meetings and meetings and go over to each other's houses. But when you have 200 adults, there's just not enough of you to go around. And so part of that needs to be evaluated, I would say, at least on a quarterly basis on what you need to stop doing. Also, another way I help people I coach think through these things is, okay, what is your desired hourly rate? You know, as a pastor, we might say, well, I want a CEO's hourly rate of $125 an hour. And we're really hovering around like 18 bucks an hour. But even then I would say like, okay, what tasks, just quarterly, think through your week. What are all the tasks you're busying yourself doing? And what is your 
$8 an hour tasks, $12 an hour tasks, 15, 20, 50, 100, $500, $1,000 an hour tasks, and start putting some real numbers around that and realizing that, hey, the $8 to $12 an hour tasks, as your organization grows, needs to be delegated um, either to a new staff person or um, outsourced or given to volunteers because uh, I kill it, man. I am eight to $12 an hour tasks make me feel like a million bucks because I annihilate those things, man. I can, yeah. uh, you know, but, but reality is that's, that's not what's bringing most value to the organizations I'm leading. And so that helps me determine what I need to stop doing. You know, there, yeah. there are certain things as an entrepreneur that you just like doing that. Okay. Maybe you, you just choose to continue doing that. But I think most leaders I deal with, they're held hostage by these tasks. Another thing, like you said, like what, what don't you stop doing is I think we think too much for other people. Um, in that, well, if I stopped doing that, then my elders wouldn't be happy. And then the deeper level I think of fear is, well, if I wasn't doing that, what would I do? And that's why question two and question three have to go together. What do I need to stop doing? And what do I need to start doing? Quite honestly, early on in a church plant, if you can sneak five hours into sermon prep, that might be all that you can do. But I know a lot of young church planners that are spending like 15 hours to 20 hours a week on the new sermon, which is great, but then they're, they're missing out on a lot of other things that they need to be doing for the church plant. So when you, when you think stop is, okay, the eight to $12 an hour things I'm doing, I need to need to get those off my plate. And then the 20 to 25 to 50 to hundred to thousand dollar an hour things I'm doing those, I need to focus more time on those. And it may be like, okay, I need to work more on my preaching, but working more on preaching may not be spending longer time studying. It may be getting a preaching coach and saying for the next year, I'm going to invest in a preaching coach and really work on the craft and formation of preaching. It may be, I'm going to double down on my seminary studies. Uh, and for business guys, it's got to be like, okay, I'm going to work on writing systems for all these smaller tasks I'm doing for the next quarter so that I can then easily hand it off to someone and have an objective rule of measure to determine whether or not the person's doing a good job. So for me in, in, in either in business or in ministry, um, you know, what, what was important for me to do at one point is impossible for me to do at another. And that's why I think we see so many guys burning out and, and just falling apart is because they are leaning into either the spoken or misunderstood expectations of the people in their church or in their business. But uh, one thing my wife said to me, man, that was really helpful to these two things. She's like, hey, you're the leader. You need to lead yourself and make make determinations on what is important for you to do and not do. And one thing on the church side of things, I go to my elders and say, hey, what is the number one most important thing you want me spending my energy on over the next quarter, six months? I let them speak and then I come back and say, here's what I believe my, it needs to be from your feedback and from what I know of myself. And I get their buy-in on that. And that really helps me to transition um, getting out of those places. Well, and I think with the financial side, I love, you know, how you described, you know, thinking through the, the different amounts to tasks. And I think it's really important as your staff grows for you to start looking around at um, all the things that you're doing with your staff. You're right. And to think through, okay, if we're all here, yep. how, much, how much money and resources are being spent on this task or this thinking right now? Absolutely. That's what in business it's called absorption rate. And what you do is you, you take the total amount of personnel per month divided by 160, it gives you an hourly rate. And each time you have a meeting with your whole team there, that's how much it costs your organization. Yeah. You know, yep. and, and say, Hey, is this meeting really worth $460? <laughs> because yep. all of a sudden this, this kumbaya coffee drinking, brainstorming and dreaming, maybe ripping your, your church off or not as productive. And, and people are like, well, that's not spiritual, bro. Ministries, ministries organic with people. I completely agree. And there yes. is time for that. But you've got to understand the costs involved. 
yeah. that if, if your combined absorption rate of overhead, um, you know, if your staff costs, costs you $20,000 a month and you have four people, that's $5,000 per month. Now, not each person's paid 5,000 a month, but then it lets you know, like what you, what you you know, th- that helps you delegate a lot better because if you're thinking like, man, I'm getting paid 62 bucks an hour and I'm doing a bunch of eight to $12 an hour tasks, you're stealing from your church. Like mm. you need to either delegate that, get a, a virtual assistant online. You need to, um, you know, you need to hire an eight dollar an hour person for 20 hours a week and then just sit in the fear of like, well, then what am I going to do with myself? Trust me, you'll be able to figure that out. Once you clear your brain space, you'll be able to look at the bigger picture things, the things that are $25 an hour and higher and start pouring yourself on those things. Well, so then as you think about those things, that goes into the next question, which is what is keeping you and your church from going to the next level? And I love how you talked about going to your elders or, or your board or even your staff. But, you know, when I think about leaders and I mean, as we're recording this, we're a month away from the end of the year. And so a lot of leaders will be thinking through, you know, next year's goals and resolutions. And I am blown away at how leaders have a a strong vision for their church or organization, but do not have a strong vision for their life. Right. And so one of the things that I really challenge leaders to think about is, you know, to always know what is keeping your organization or church from being healthy and growing and what is keeping you from being healthy and growing and, and to begin moving into those places and start growing in those. And so for me personally, every year I think through, okay, what, what is one thing that if I got better at would take me to a new level as a leader would take our church to a new level. Um, this, as you mentioned, it might be preaching where you just go and get a preaching coach. It might be personal productivity. Um, it might be relational care, um, managing staff. Most pastors are terrible at managing staff. Oh man. (laughs) Um, you know, and, and reading books on it, you know, interviewing leaders who are great at it. Um, and so to think through, so if you as a leader listening to this, haven't thought through, okay, what, what's next year? What are my goals for? Um, Here's, here's something for you to ask. What do I, what's one thing I need to grow in to get better as a leader? Just one thing. Don't pick five. I, you know, I think we, we, we set ourselves up to, to fail by having so many resolutions and goals. But just say, what's one thing? If I got better at one thing in the next calendar year that would move the ball further down the field, how do you grow in that? Absolutely. I mean, think about it this way, Josh. If you pick, if you pick, um, one thing and say over the next eight weeks, I'm going to focus on this. And you do that for a year. That's six new habits or six major changes that you've made um, in a year. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think we were like, man, you know, uh, you know, I, and I, I'm horrible at this. Just, just to let everybody know I'm a better coach than player. Like I'm the guy that's like, I'm going to start this, this diet that's going to make me starve. And I'm going to start working out nine days a week, you know, even though there's only seven and I'm going to, you know, drink a gallon of water a day. And you know, that, that lasts for maybe nine days until I'm burned out, washed up. And then I find myself, like we talked about in a previous, our preview episode, eating a pint of ice cream and giving up on life, man, that, that just doesn't work. But if I take one thing saying, I'm going to focus on moving three times this week, whether it's walking, running, jumping jacks, I'm going to do something proactively and I'm going to choose to move three times this week. I'm not going to put pressure on what it is because one thing I know about myself is when I put myself out there and start doing it, I start remembering I enjoy it and then challenging myself to do it. But I think inactivity for the leader is, is the most paralyzing thing um, that keeps us from taking our, our organizations to the next level. Yeah. And then the last question is, what am I afraid of now? Yeah, that's a great, what am I afraid of now? And, you know, leaders, we make, 
We make a lot of decisions out of fear. We make a lot of decisions based off of what ifs, worst case scenarios. Um, if you're a leader, you probably have, you're really good at being optimistic and casting vision, but you're also really good at being pessimistic where everything falls apart and all your dreams are dashed and you're left penniless and hopeless. And so as, as your church grows, as an organization grows, in the same way that your temptations are new, you now have new fears. You know, I remember as a church planner, just wondering and being afraid no one would show up. And there's right. still a little bit of that as our church has grown where I just think, yeah, I just, you know, are people still going to keep coming? Dude, like, man, I just I, don't know. I, like our people are notoriously late to coming to, to worship on Sunday mornings. <laughs> and so I call it my monster, my monster.com first 15 minutes. Like it's that monster.com moment where like, this is the week where it folds up like a lawn chair and I got to put my resume online and hopefully Starbucks will hire me. Like I go through that still, man, you know? And so I finally like to worship Jesus. So I've got to like focus on the screen and the music and the songs and just wait for people to show up. And during the greeting time, it's that awkward. You have to run across the gym to find the other person because it's too early in the service and people aren't there yet. Right. And so, I mean, and I think talking about fear, I think when you talk about fear, I think that's something we've got to hit on through many episodes because that's one of the unspoken conversations that leaders must have is dealing honestly with fear. Um, because, uh, just as much as people like to say they're afraid of failure, people are oftentimes afraid of success because the dynamics that are expanded and the requests that are placed upon you when things work and are successful are just as stressful, if not more so, because why? Well, think about it. If you, let's say your, your book, you know, your next book that comes out is extremely successful. All of a sudden you get a flood of inquiries of speaking. You want authors that want to pick your brain. You have new publishers that want to talk with your agents. You have, um, you know, more pastors leaning on you. So what does that do? It puts this pressure on you to keep being successful. Right. And so there's there's an elevated expectation placed on you. And so I think one thing that most leaders are afraid of that we don't deal with, honestly, is we're afraid of success because of the pressure that is added on top of us. When you fail, no one really cares. I mean, they're just like, man, they feel a little bit better about themselves. And if they love you, they might feel a little sad for you um, and they might want to learn about your failure. But when you're successful, that's when people come out of the woodwork wanting wanting a piece of you. And so I think, I think fear needs to be addressed in all fronts and then biblically and appropriately, uh, appropriately handled um, as you move forward. So as you think through, what are some ways to combat some of the fears, especially when it comes to leading and making decisions? Yeah, uh, just a few things that come to my mind that when I coach people through that, and I, I lead myself through that because, man, it's terrifying going into uncharted territory. That's why I like going back and consulting and coaching in organizations that I'm ahead of because I'm like, oh, I remember that. Um, but when I'm, you know, I have a few consulting clients that I've had on marketing, sales, uh, HR stuff that they're ahead of where I've been, but the principles are the same. And, and, and throughout, whether it's a startup or something that's scaling and growing, our fears are pretty consistent. So the first thing is to name it, like own your fear and say, I am afraid of blank and, and own it. The second thing is, is do, um, do a reality assessment of it. There's a book by Darren Hardy called the entrepreneur roller coaster. I think you've mentioned before, but yeah. one thing he says is we feel like there's a mountain lion in the room about to bite our throat off. And that's when the fight or flight thing kicks in. And, and so our fear causes us either to want to either ramp up and fight or it causes us to want to ramp up and run. And so I, I would acknowledge that thing and just be realistic. Like, okay, in this moment, what is absolutely the worst thing that can happen? And then, 
honestly, on the same side, what is the best thing that could come from this? And name both of those things and then start praying towards the best opportunity. And so those are some of the issues that the ways immediately that I would tell people to explore and to head with that fear. But I think also, you know, as you communicate those fears, you can determine whether they're valid fears or not, mm. you know, because some fears are just not realistic. It's not very realistic that next week uh, of the 250 people, including children that come to my church, that none of them will show up. Yeah. Right. Something could happen and only a hundred of them show up, but even then it's, it, we're not dead yet. And so you yeah. have to put some, and I always think of it this way when I, when I coach people through fear is you got to put bumpers on it. Like when my kids go bowling, um, we get those bumpers things raised up that they can't have a gutter ball. And so one thing you have to you know think through is on best case and worst case, you need some bumpers along both of them and then function in the middle. And that helps you keep from being paralyzed by fear. Well, and I think too, you have to, you know, as you mentioned, name it, but also understand where it comes from. Cause I think one of the big fears that a lot of leaders have is they, they fear trusting the other people on their team. Right. And so they're so afraid. Cause I know when we started our church, um, I had the two years before we started our church were just a roller coaster ride, a deep valley of a lot of leadership angst and pain that I walked through. A lot of it was caused by me and just my pride and God just, humbling me. Um, and so when we started our church, I made many of the people on our initial team pay for some of the mistakes of other people right? by not trusting them, by not empowering them, and, and by not even just entering into community with them in some of the deep ways that I should have. And so I think a, a lot of leaders, they make decisions based off of, well, I don't want to get betrayed by this person. I don't want to give this person the opportunity to even have the authority or influence to betray me or to wreck this thing. You know, I know a lot of pastors who, um, whenever, whenever they don't preach, they'll only have people preach for them who are not as good as them because they just, they don't want to come back and people be like, man, like that guy was amazing. So like this past Sunday, I didn't preach. Um, I had the Sunday off and, um, we stayed home. We, we played together. We, we took a hike, Um, and and I got text after text from people telling me how one of our other pastors on staff just killed it, knocked it out of the park. Um, people are talking all over social media about it, um, hashtagging all of his different tweetable quotes and everything. And and so I texted him then and I said, Hey Joe, way to go, man. Everybody is telling me that you just crushed it today. That was awesome. Yeah. And, um, you know, and probably six years ago, that would have eaten me alive because of my insecurity as a leader. Right. And I would have then said, you know what? Like, I'm not going to have him preach again because everyone loved him and I want people to love me. But now being able to move forward from that, I'm able to celebrate that. I'm able to say, you know what? I'm not afraid anymore of people thinking that that person is more talented than I am or more gifted than I am. And too many leaders make a lot of decisions based off of that fear. Absolutely. And that's, that's the key, man, of, of being, you know, the, 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 the true blessing of leadership, regardless of your role, is to create other leaders who are stronger and better than you. And if we, if we don't own that, we're always going to limit ourselves because, you know, look, you know, I had, a, I had my, my friend, one of the guys in my church preach last Sunday and man, he did a phenomenal job, probably one of his best sermons yet. Um, he's an attorney by trade and um, man, just, just did a phenomenal job. I was thrilled. And one of the greatest freedoms in leadership to be liberated from fear is to become the fan of things that are good. 
you know what, if my church had an uprising and said, Hey, we want that guy instead of you preaching any longer. And you know, then I'd say, man, I, I don't blame you. You know, can I, can I be the uh, XP guy or community pastor or counseling pastor or, you know, awesome. But by and large, that's not going to happen. And, and that goes back to like just realistic fears. Like just because someone else is good doesn't mean you're not, um, you know. And so I think those are the things where we've got to learn to celebrate success of others. We've got to learn to be generous with sharing our platforms. We've got to be kind in the way of drawing out what's great in other people because that's the road to becoming a great leader. Yeah. Well, let's review here as we wrap up today. So here are the five questions that we think leaders should ask on a regular basis around the new year is a great time to do it or do it throughout the year when you're on vacation. Um, But number one, what new temptations do you now face that you didn't face before? Number two, what things must you stop doing? So think through what things, if I didn't do this, that no one would notice that just don't add a whole lot of value to my church or organization. Number three, what things must I start doing now or spend more time on? And number four, what is keeping you and your church from going to the next level? And whatever that next level is, you get to decide that. Could be health, could be growth, could be new revenue. But what is keeping you and your church from going to the next level? And then the last one as a leader to ask, what am I afraid of now? What decisions am I making out of fear? So what am I afraid of now? Yeah, that's excellent. I would say number four, what is keeping you and your church from going to the next level? That's equally uh, helpful for your nonprofit. It's equally helpful for your business. It's equally helpful to ask that for your, for your marriage because those type of incisive questions um, are, are going to expose the reality of who you are. And the only way you're going to grow as a leader is by honestly assessing where you are and then charting a vision for where you need to go. So this is our time for today here at Leadership Conversations with Josh Reich and Casey Cease. We look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to another episode of Leadership Conversations with Josh Reich and Casey Cease. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, head on over to iTunes or Google Play to subscribe to our podcast. Also, head on over to our website at www.leaderconvos.com.